Welcome to a new conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. Is today the best time in human history to be aging? It appears to be when you think back to our parents' generation or even our grandparents. And some things are obvious, but there are some nuances. And the question is, what are some things that you can do to take advantage of these trends? And today we'll be speaking with someone who can shed light on those questions. Maddie Dykwald, the co-founder of AgeWave, will join us to discuss their latest report, The New Age of Aging. Recognized by Forbes as one of the top female futurists globally, Maddie has been deeply involved for over 40 years in exploring all aspects of the age wave and how it's transforming the marketplace, the workplace, our world, and our lives. Maddie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Joe. Great to be here. So AgeWave and the Harris Poll recently surveyed 2,000-plus U.S. adults. How are people viewing aging and longevity these days? Yeah, well, first of all, this is really timely. I mean, it just came out, and we're calling it the new age of aging for that very reason. I mean, I've been on this beat for more than 37 years, and AgeWave's been studying the issues related to longevity and the maturing of the population for an equal amount of time. So we began to see some real shifts taking place, real paradigm shifts. What we're beginning to see is that for one thing, the older population is growing by leaps and bounds. In fact, for the first time ever, older adults will soon outnumber those under the age of 18. 18. So today's older adults, they are seeing the future really differently. They're eager to pursue new dreams, new adventures, new goals. And what we're really seeing is this old paradigm of defining old in a particular way. It's beginning to fall apart, which is good news for all of us because we're all aging. And we're beginning to see that older women and men beginning to believe that the cultural beliefs and the ageism that's so prevalent and so embedded in our society, it needs to go away. Definitely time to retire that if possible. (laughs) Absolutely. And speaking of retiring, how are people thinking about retirement differently today? Yeah, well, for one thing, they're thinking of it very differently. I mean, think about it. Old, it's just not what it used to be, and neither is retirement. We have some great examples. Look at Martha Stewart, for instance. She's in her 80s, 82 years old, recently on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine, which whatever you think about that, it's a pretty breakthrough concept. And she's not only just a model on Sports Illustrated, she's an entrepreneur. She's really a tastemaker. Um, So that's one great example. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, in his 70s, he's actually the same age as I am. He's 73 years old, and he's doing three-hour shows every night in Europe. Tom Cruise, now, whatever you think about Tom Cruise, when he did Top Gun, he was 59 years old. 59, and he did all his own stunts, which is incredible. So you guys may remember Wilford Brimley in the movie Cocoon back in the 1980s. Do you remember that, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, anyway, he was playing an old guy living in a long-term care community. He was 49 years old when he made that. 
So we're beginning to see the whole aging thing shift, which is shifting the retirement study, the whole world of retirement. And by the way, in our most recent study, we learned that people used to think of 60 as being old. They don't anymore. Want to guess what age they think of as old today? I think it's got to be in the 80s. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's 80. So we're seeing a real shift taking place in this whole concept of defining old and defining retirement. And let's be honest about it. Work and retirement, they used to be opposites. They're not anymore. People are thinking about working and retirement. And our studies showed just that fact. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around Wilford Brimley was 49. (laughs) I know. That's so crazy, isn't it? But continuing on, how about the role of purpose in mid to later life? Yeah, purpose is a big one. In one of our studies, not this most recent one, but one that we did about six, eight months ago, we tried to delve into this whole concept of purpose. And what we discovered is that most people, both retirees and pre-retirees, they believe that purpose is a key to success in retirement. So. It used to be, oh, we're seeking youth. But what we discovered is that most people really believe that being useful is far more important than being youthful. And just to add to that, which is really kind of interesting, is that those people who say that they feel useful, they also seem to feel more youthful. So they go hand in hand. But the leader is purpose, and purpose is a key. By the way, it doesn't have to be something big. I mean, some people, it will be like coming up with a new career or um, volunteering in a way that they never expected to. But for other people, it may be just taking care of their grandkids or walking the dog. So there's all different kinds of purpose, and there's no one answer to the word purpose except that you need to have it in your life. I noticed that curiosity came up, something that I see really helps people greatly in life after they graduate from full-time work, see the work I do. What role can curiosity play in being youthful and useful? Yeah, it's a really good word. When you think about the word curiosity, what you begin to see is that it's about staying open, staying flexible, being open to learning new things. And we know that learning new things can actually help you increase your brain span, which is something we all want to do. I mean, the number one fear that older adults have in terms of their health as they get older is cognitive decline. And you don't want to go there. You really don't. So curiosity, in our study, this new age of aging, what we discovered is that 97% of those that we talked to said that it is important to stay curious because it keeps us to learning new things and having new experiences and even meeting new people. You know, just as an example, my brother and sister-in-law recently moved to San Diego. In fact, it was during COVID. It seems very recent, but I guess that's a while ago, actually. And when they first moved there, they, they were really having trouble connecting with people, finding friends. So they joined an organization that they never would have normally joined, a, religious organization, and they're not religious people. But through this, they met a whole group of new friends that have become almost like family to them. So learning new things comes in many, many shapes and forms. And 
remaining curious does as well. You mentioned before that retirement and work aren't mutually exclusive for many people anymore. But when people do retire these days, many aren't ditching work. They're figuring out ways to keep it in the mix somehow. How are people thinking about including work in retirement? Yeah, well, people are thinking about there's not just one size fits all for work and retirement. But in our study, we learned that 59% of retirees and pre-retirees, they want to work in retirement. Now, does that mean they want to work 40 or 60 hours a week? Absolutely not. It means that they're interested in combining work and play and leisure time activities in one lifetime, in their new chapter of life, which is what they refer to as retirement, by the way. They call retirement a whole new chapter in life. So it includes work, but not necessarily full-time work. I mean, when we polled people and we asked them, do you want to work? Most people wanted to either work flex time, part-time, or they wanted to cycle in and out of work. So maybe it's taking a consulting project for three or four months a year. I mean, it can take all different forms. The point is that people see retirement as a whole new chapter in life. And if they can work in retirement, they want to work. Now, interestingly, the one primary reason why people don't work in retirement is for a health reason. So it's really important that we stay healthy so that we can do all the things we want to do, including working. Uh, let me give you an example of someone which is a little more extreme. I, I have a friend who was a dentist. He was in his late 50s. And he came up to me one day and he said, I want to talk to you about something, Maddie. I'm thinking about selling my dental practice. I was thinking to myself, he seems really young to be retiring. So I said to him, what? You're going to retire now? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I want to sell my dental practice, go back to school and become a psychiatrist. I go, whoa, that is really different. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, I decided to be a dentist when I was 18 years old. I don't want to live with an 18-year-old's decision the rest of my life. So David is an example that's kind of extreme because he went in a whole new direction. But there are lots of people who are doing just that and different variations on the theme. Great example, though. So retirement presents both opportunities, but also challenges. But are older adults happier these days? What's going on with happiness? Yeah, there's been a lot of studies on this. Um, Laura Carstensen at Stanford did a study, and then we followed up in our newest study asking this very question. And it seems a little odd because you expect youth. That's where the action is. That's where the fun is. That's where everybody wants to be. But our study confirms that happiness and freedom soar in your 50s and 60s. They sort of level out after that, but they soar. And the good news, especially for someone like me who can get really anxious, is that anxiety really can plummet as you get older as well. So think about it. I mean, the hard work of raising a family and working full time, they begin to fade away a little bit in your 50s and 60s. And you get more opportunities to enjoy yourself and have a good time and just kind of relax. So 71% of those 65s told us in our study 
that the absolute best time of life is right now and into the future. So how are people thinking about leaving a legacy these days? Yeah, legacy is a big word. We did a study that was focused exclusively on legacy a long time ago, about five, six years ago. And we did include questions on legacy in this particular study. And what we learned is that 65% of people agree that leaving a legacy is important and that values and life lessons, let me repeat that, values and life lessons are far more important to pass on than financial assets in real estate. Now, let me just say, we know that financial assets in real estate are important to pass on. Everybody agrees on that. But this idea of passing on what really matters in life and what you stand for and having your family understand that is huge. I think Eric Erickson said it really well. He said, I am what survives me. And frankly, I think we agree that, you know, what we stand for in life, our values, our morals, our ethics, these matter more than just our money. Indeed. So it appears to me that you have a lot going on. And I'm wondering if you could, (laughs) I'm a trained observer, I could tell. (laughs) I was wondering if you could share with us how you're applying some of these things in your own life. Yeah, well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Just as an example, I have a lot of phobias around money. (laughs) I grew up in a family where money was an issue. We didn't have any, and we were always struggling to get by. So the fact that I have financial security now really matters to me. From our studies, for instance, just using myself as an example for a minute, we learned that there's a few things that you need to put into place to understand if you're going to have enough money to last your entire lifetime. That's a big deal. I avoided doing it. And my husband, Ken, he kept trying to insist that I put together a budget and that I figure out how much money do we really need if we're going to live to 100. Finally, I sat down and did it. I'm just getting over a cold. And when I did it, it took about an hour and a half. (laughs) So I put it off for literally years. It took an hour and a half, and then we went through it with our financial advisor, and we saw we were in great shape, that we were going to make it last longer. We were not going to outlive our money, and that was such a sigh of relief. So that's just one good thing. Another thing that I've learned through the network of experts in financial services, uh, in health, in technology and AI and all the top experts that we've been dealing with over the years, I've really started to see what are the things you need to do in your life to feel better and live longer. And I started practicing them. And I started practicing them, not just, oh, this is really cool. I want to practice them. But I had some health issues. In fact, I was really struggling a few years back with a lot of hip pain, tremendous hip pain. And, you know, I'm a big exerciser and always have been. It's one of the ways I manage my stress. But I was getting cortisone shots. I was getting PRP. I was doing everything but getting an MRI. And finally, finally, I said, okay, I'm going to go get an MRI. So I did. 
I found out that I was born with hip dysplasia, which is something they fix in little kids these days, but not 73 years ago. (laughs) And what they told me was that I was literally bone on bone in both of my hips. So I knew I was going to have to do a double hip surgery. And I did, by the way, but there was like lag time between the time I got diagnosed and the time that I could actually schedule the surgery. So what I did is I went to the experts that we deal with all the time and I said, help, what should I be doing? And they told me. And so I changed my exercise program a little bit. I went on an anti-inflammatory diet, which means it's not that hard, by the way. I cut out all dairy, most sugar. I mean, sugar is a hard thing to cut out completely because it's so embedded in all of our foods and gluten. And it's not the gluten per se that was a problem. It's the way the, the process, the processing of the food and the other things that they put in to make the gluten work. So I cut those three things out and I will tell you the most amazing thing happens. In a matter of three weeks, all my pain went away. All my pain. So I realized, you know, hey, making these kinds of changes really can make a difference. And I became passionate about it. I started digging deeper into the subject. By the way, when I went to get the surgery, which I did, I mean, I was bone on bone. And I did both hips at one time. They told me I'd be in the hospital for a week. I was in for one night. They told me it would take me a month to be walking without any kind of assistance, any kind of like anything. And it took me two days, literally two days. So I attribute that not to me being, oh, I'm so cool, but to the fact that I was on this anti-inflammatory diet. I had done a lot of things to prepare what I call, instead of recovery, I call it precovery. And I adopted these habits and really changed my life. Hip surgery is no joke and double, two at once. That's Yeah, if I didn't do them both at once, I wouldn't have done the second one. (laughs) That's a great recovery. That that concept of pre-recovery is a great one. I really appreciate, appreciate that. Now, in addition to all those things, You've also written a book. Could you tell us about the book that you just completed writing that will be out next year? Yeah. So this connects to the things that I learned when I was having all this hip challenges. Because during that time, I had so many people reach out to me, so many women in particular, reach out to me and have similar challenges or other health challenges and looking for advice. Now, I'm a 73-year-old woman. I started at age wave when I was in my 30s. I mean, it's kind of crazy that I've been on this beat for so long, but I've learned a few things. And what I realized was I need to take my learnings and pass it on to the millions of women who are in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond and help them help themselves to better match their health span and their brain span and even their wealth span to their lifespans. I mean, in our country right now, it's crazy, but we have done a great job of expanding our lifespans. But our health spans are on average 12 to 14 years less than our lifespans. So what does that mean? It means we're spending a lot of years in poor health and it doesn't have to be that way. So I wanted to help women in particular who 
live longer than men to change their lives, to change this dynamic, to better match their health span, their brain span, and even their wealth span to their lifespan. So I decided I was going to write a book. I called it Ageless Aging, and it's a woman's guide to increasing health span, brain span, and lifespan. And that's what I did. And frankly, it was just a lot of fun and it was exciting. And I got to do a lot of research. I talked to hundreds of experts and learned so much in the process. It was, it's been an incredible journey. And I'm excited to say that the book is coming out in May of 2024. Appreciate that. Congratulations on, on the upcoming book. And thanks for taking the time to share your insights with us today. It's been my pleasure, Joe. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know it's time for takeaways. A few ideas that you can use to take action following today's conversation. Number one, it's more important to be useful than youthful. I think this line that Maddie shared is really one that captures the change in how people look at their older years these days. How can you pursue the right purposes that work for you going forward? And you might just find that you can be useful and youthful. Number two, cultivate curiosity. This is one of my personal favorites. I think it really can help you stay active and engaged, open and flexible, as Maddie noted. You can't be bored and curious at the same time. And as one of my recent guests, Stephen Kotler, pointed out, you really can't be anxious and curious at the same time. So invest in cultivating curiosity. You'll find it pays many dividends in various ways. It's the single thing that can help fuel your lifelong learning. Number three, what will your true legacy be? I thought this was one of her most important points from this study that people are rethinking what legacy really means to them. Certainly in the past, it's been the financial assets and those are still important, but it's much more than that. How will you pass on what really matters, what you stand for, what your values and morals have been? Worth thinking about, worth taking some action on. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. My mission is to help you retire smarter by taking a look at the areas of retirement planning that go way beyond the financial side. You can find all of our episodes at a glance to browse at our website, retirementwisdom.com. 